Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Shalom Yudim, Shalom Lebenei Noach, Shalom Goyim. It's the evening of the fourth day, Erev Kav Zayin Ba'adar Beis, Parashas Tazriya, Shabbos Rosh Chodesh, Tavshin Pei Beis, 5782, the evening of the third day, Tuesday, 29 March, 2022. You're listening to Phantom Nation Podcasting on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, coming to you from the land of the Israelis, who, to borrow from the Psalms, commenting on individuals, it is a country that walks around in darkness. And what is this darkness? The inability and refusal to see the enemy as he really is. In this edition, we will attempt to wrestle with the Israelis at Herzl's wished-for non-religious state who are ill-equipped to see its enemies who, for who they really are, religious people, how ironic. They're not Palestinians, but Muslims, who have been oppressing and humiliating Jews since the birth of this religion which has never been anything but Judaism purloined and perverted, which accuses the Jews uh, to be public enemy number one of believers in the one true faith. Israelis have no idea just how anti-Semitic Islam is. The secular European founding fathers deluded themselves into thinking that since Islam had wielded no deicide charge against the Jews, as Christians have, and so we can make peace with them, Therefore, it's not anti-Semitic, overlooking the truth that Islam, while denying Jesus was divine, uh, Muslims do believe he was a prophet whom the Jews killed as they killed other of their prophets. Israelis have no awareness that the very name Islam hints at its uh, hostility to the Jewish people, for the word means submission and alludes to Ibrahim submitting to Allah's command that he bind his son Ismail for a sacrifice, not Isaac, as the Jews believe. And the episode took place in Mecca, not in Al-Quds, Jerusalem, as the Jews believe. Hence, the Islamic commandment that all believers make the pilgrimage at least once in their lifetimes to Mecca to where this famous event took place. You got that? The core belief of Islam is that the Jews stole this story from Muslims and perverted it by changing the cast of characters. There's no original idea here, only theft of the Jewish narrative like Hillary Clinton accusing Donald Trump of collaborating with the Russians to steal the election in 2016, when she was the one guilty of that crime, collaborating with the Russians, so Islam accuses Jews of stealing this story from them. And we'll get started after the following message from IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com with the latest Muslim, not Palestinian, murders in Israel. Israel is located in one of the most volatile areas in the world, Israel is an island of stability and a sea of war and unrest. In the midst of this turmoil, Israel stands out as a beacon of order and human progress. Each week we update you on what's happening in this, the Jewish state, a true light unto the nations. This is Jay Shapiro. Join me every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio.
Shalom Yehudim, Shalom Lebenei Noach, Shalom Megoyim. It's the evening of the fourth day, Erev Kavzayin Ba'adar Beis, Parashas Tazriah, Shabbos Rosh Chodesh, Tavshin Pei Beis, 5782, the evening of the third day, Tuesday, 29 March, 2022. You're listening to Phantom Nation, podcasting on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, coming to you from Israel. To cite scripture about individuals, it's a country that walks around in darkness. And what is this darkness? the inability or refusal to see the enemy as he really is. Since the last uh, podcast a week ago, uh, five Jews and one Druze were murdered. Uh, what the Israelis call, by what Israelis call terrorists, not even any more Arab terrorists, not Muslim terrorists, just terrorists. Though the anti-terror GSS uh, agency said the assassins, my word, were inspired by ISIS uh, using the Arabic acronym for Islamic State, Daesh, the murderers in both Belsheba and Hadera were both fans of ISIS, uh, which cult of assassins is indistinguishable from Hamas and Palestine Islamic Jihad and Lebanon's Hezbollah and Fatah, today camouflaged as the Palestinian Authority. And really all of the 18 terror organizations that once comprised the PLO uh, they had, they were hiding behind pseudo-political names like the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, not to be confused with the Democratic Palestinian Front for the Liberation of Palestine. The concept of a popular front uh, came out of the 1930s in Europe. And then in the 1970s, the Arabs here began imitating the National Liberation Front in Algeria. Dozens of murder cults sprang up, reflecting the still essentially tribal personality of these barbarians who cannot get together nationally. The rebels in Algeria, fighting against the French regime that had created Algeria, had the smarts to jettison the vocabulary of Islam, in which they were waging war against the infidel Christian French, and instead imitated Western political concepts in order to win support in Europe from the left, from woolly-headed leftist intellectuals like philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, Likewise, in Palestine, following World War I and the peace conference in Paris that created the League of Nations, that designed a new jurisdiction never known uh, during Islamic rule in Eretz Yisrael that they called Palestine, a word, a country name Muslims never knew, never used. Indeed, when Jordan's army in 1948, without any UN sanction, crossed the Jordan River to destroy the just-declared Jewish state that had no name for the hills of Judea and Samaria, the name used in the UN partition plan of just the year before. And there was no West Bank in 1947 in any UN document, only Judea and Samaria. Eventually, Jordan annexed Judea and Samaria in 1950 and eventually called it the West Bank, which is a no-name name. It's a topographic description. When the Hashemite king in Amman sent his army over Jordan, they had no name for these hills, labeled Judean Samaria on all maps for a thousand years. The invention of the West Bank is more proof that there never was a Palestinian people living on this territory. Indigenous peoples everywhere give names to their country's natural features, mountains, lakes, rivers. And in 1948, because there never was an indigenous Palestinian people living in today's West Bank, uh, their ideological rejection of the new infant state of Israel was rooted not in the words of Palestinian nationalism, but Islam. And for sure, uh, no Palestinian text was ever written um, with these names because there was no Palestinian language. Who ever heard of an allegedly ancient nation that never spoke its own late language? The Jewish Bible contains the history of this people over a thousand years. 
versus today's so-called Palestinians who have never produced even one book of Palestinian history. There is not one book on any library shelf in the world or in any bookstore on Palestinian history prior to the rise of the modern Zionist movement. And so the official resistance to the Zionist state from the beginning was led by a religious man, not a patriot, not a nationalist, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. And uh, this exposes further the related lie that Jerusalem is holy to Islam, its third holiest city, which is nonsense. Over 14 centuries, minus the Crusader period, the Muslims owned and governed Jerusalem and turned it into a literally stinking garbage dump of a town. Pilgrims to the Holy Land before the Zionist Renaissance said it smelled bad for the poor sanitation, because in truth, uh, listen carefully, Jerusalem has no religious significance to the Muslim religion, minus the, that fairy tale worthy of a thousand and one nights when Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Mutalib of the Quraysh tribe, the opposite of peace be upon him, allegedly flew one night across the sky from Mecca to Jerusalem on a winged horse, landed on the Jews' Temple Mount, jumped up into the sky through seven heavens, a concept he plagiarized from the Talmud, saw all the prophets in the Bible of the Jews and concluded he had become one of them, indeed the last and greatest prophet of them all. He was the one who had the correct understanding of the religion of Ibrahim, mispronouncing his name, and never mind he knew nothing of Hebrew, so how could he know what Avraham really wanted? He claimed uh, th that he was the final revelation after the Jews had lost their special covenant with Allah. The Christians took it over for a bit, but lost it too, and along came Muhammad, who preached the correct version of Ibrahim's religion. His night flight signaled his becoming that greatest prophet, which is what Alu Akbar means. It does not mean God is great, as some allege. It is the superlative form and means the Islamic conception of God is the greatest, the correct one over all others. It contains an implied aggressive put-down of infidels who do not worship Allah the correct way. And so when Hajimin al-Husseini, in 1919 during the peace conference in Paris that was inventing this new place called Palestine, he published a newspaper and called it Southern Syria. And that was the name of the country for him. He was attacking the very idea of a new place called Philistine, the Arabs' mispronunciation of the country. Indeed, all pilgrims, adventurers, and tourists to the Holy Land before the rise of the Zionist movement in the late 19th century described southern Syria as a wasteland, uninhabited. And not completely, but mostly. There was not one city as that concept associates to and the rest of the world. In the first decade of the 20th century, when Paris, London, and New York were each home to two to three million inhabitants, Jerusalem was home to 60,000 souls only, 40,000 of them Jews under Muslim rule, because Jerusalem has no religious significance to Muslim, except for that miracle story of Muhammad's horseback ride across the sky. Jerusalem is nothing for Muslims but the spoils of a raid a war signaling the transference of the special covenant with Allah to believers in the one true faith. It's a mark of their chosenness, but otherwise contains no message of religious, of spiritual, ethical, moral depth. The resistance to the Zionist movement was led in the first half of the 20th century by Hajimin, who during the Holocaust lived in Berlin in a townhouse that once belonged to a Jewish family murdered by Hitler, where Hajimin did propaganda radio broadcast to the Middle East in Arabic supporting the Nazi war effort, for which he was paid $10,000 a month. It's like a million dollars today. And his message was solely religious 
as the reason for his war against the Zionists and alliance with the Nazis. Only in the 1960s did the Arabs here learn to imitate what the Arabs in Algeria had known to do, which is to recast their propaganda in Western concepts, no longer religious ones, because they understood religion was dying in the West and was no way to sell their cause. Tragically, they were ably assisted in this by Israel's secular and especially leftists who hated the Jewish religion and for whom Zionism was about a not was not about creating a Jewish state, but a state of non-religious Jews. Hence, Theodor Herzl, father of this state, uh, who has a mor- memorial day all his own, when the government uh, ministers pay a visit to his grave on Mount Herzl. He had written two books in his short life, the first called in German Der Judenstaat, meaning the state of Jews, so that the English title, the Jewish state, is wrong. There's a big difference between the two concepts. In any case, the first book was a practical plan for raising funds and winning political support from others to build in, in the barren wastes of the Holy Land. One again, state for Jews, because the violent homicidal behaviors of Christians in Europe had just become intolerable. The second book he wrote was a Jules Verne-esque fantasy of the Judenstadt 20 years after its founding, in which everything was just wonderful. It had become a vibrant, developed country with modern industry, railroads beyond the minimal tracks that had existed when Herzl published the book in 1902, and the relations between the Jews and the Muslims and Christians were just hunky-dory, an ecumenical garden of tolerance and respect for the other. And it is most telling that this book described the state after its 20 years with no mention of the Zionists ever having to suffer bloody, murderous pogroms as they did in the 1920s and 30s. No mention of a war of independence in which 1% of the Jewish population, not just the army, was killed. Violence perpetrated by devotees of the most savage, barbaric people in the world, Arabs, whose religion legitimizes their cruelty. Anything goes in their primitive universe, and this very past week again, Muslims, not Palestinian patriots, murdered six more Israelis, turning their friends, families, and wives into widows, children into orphans, all of them racked with pain and grief. In a nutshell, Theodore Herzl knew nothing of Islam, and official Israel remains a prisoner of his ignorance to this day. The Tamar Yona Show. Tamar? She's sassy. She's smart. She's funny. But she's also a real Jewish mother. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Tamar Yona. And yes, I can be all of those things. But at Israel News Talk Radio, I'm here to bring you the news stories and guests that you may not hear anywhere else. Join me live on air Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays for the most unique and bold talk radio in Israel. The Tamar Yona Show. So, to continue, the uh, State of Israel was founded by post-religious Jews in imitation of the Gentiles in enlightened post-Christian Europe in the 18th and 19th century, from Voltaire to Dostoevsky. Jews uh, who continued to suffer massacres in Russia in the 1880s, in the first decade of the 20th century as well, and in the 1920s again, when they were slaughtered in the middle of the Russian Civil War by the Ukrainian butcher uh, Semyon Pertura. Herzl had originally hoped Western or European Jewry would become his followers when those most in need of a country of refuge were those in Ukraine and Russia, Poland, Belarus. And these were the roots of the generation of David Ben-Gurion and Chaim Weizmann and Golda Meir, post-religious socialists who uh, saw themselves at, not at all as enemies of Islam. They just wanted to bring the wasteland back to life and create a home and haven for persecuted Jewish people. The country in 1857, before the rise of the Zionist movement, was visited by Herman Melville, an American novelist, and he described it as a caked, depopulated hell, so that the Zionists had no thought of displacing any other nation. No one would suffer from the Zionist enterprise, only benefit. But the Muslims did not see things this way. The ignorant in Israel think the conflict here got started a hundred years ago, when uh, Arabs uh, had lived with Jews for 14 centuries. The relationship did not begin with the Balfour Declaration or the First Zionist Congress uh, or the League of Nations mandate. Uh, and it was always a relationship marked by the dominant Muslims and minority Jews mandated by the Koran to oppress and humiliate them. As this past week, Jews in Israel have been psychologically oppressed, depressed, by the atrocities perpetrated by these barbaric Muslims. As the GSS, their chief internal anti-terror security agency, has been humiliated in not preventing these last two miserable, ghastly, blood-curdling, Jew-killing strikes, which in part is caused by Israelis calling these people terrorists, a word that long ago, long ago lost any meaning and power better to describe them as homicidal anti-Semitic Muslim maniacs because that is who they are. In both uh, satanic scenes of horror in the two cities, the monsters set out in the knowledge they would probably be killed. And this, they were no different from the lunatics aboard those four airliners on 9-11 21 years ago. Same people, Muslim monsters, uh, made so by their religion. Not that Israel has ever been able to confront this truth. Instead, Take, for example, the fiasco of the so-called Oslo peace process, which resulted not in peace, but stomach-churning massacres of Jews between 1,000 and 2,000 Israelis. Oslo was the brainchild of the post-religious and therefore brainless Dr. Joseph Balin, Ph.D., and other pinhead Israelis like erstwhile foreign minister Tsipi Livni, both of whom, in identical language, insisted separately from each other that Israel must not define the conflict here as religious, for then there can be no peace. Let's redefine it as an ordinary political disagreement over who owns some territory between two nations with the identical right to claim this as their ancient homeland. In that context, a compromise is the obvious solution. Uh, 
Israelis like Balin and Livni, unfortunately, exemplify the downside of creating this born-again Jewish state in that such Israelis grow up with no personal experience of anti-Semitism, the baseless hatred of Gentiles, the irrational delusional belief in Jews as haters of all non-Jews. Just the other day, I came across the following tidbit from the otherwise sophisticated, famous, cultured, and learned English historian Edward Gibbon, who published his history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire in 1776. He once wrote, quote, The obstinacy with which the Jews have preserved their distinct religious practices and unsocial ways has marked them as a distinct type of human being hating all others, close quote. You'd be amazed. So many goyim think that the Jews are taught, ordered by the Talmud to hate all non-Jews. And this is what too many stupid goyim really believe, and including their otherwise most literate and educated like Gibbon. Israelis have no experience of the satanic lunacy of Jew-haters that can drive such as these homicidal, suicidal Muslim murderers to their evil deeds. What other religion and culture produces such people who glorify the massacre of innocent people because uh, the people uh, were born into another religion, and in the process, they know they will kill themselves. This is the enemy. And he is not, as Israelis want to believe, restricted to the ISIS cult. The news today is of the GSS arresting a dozen known ISIS sympathizers. At the same time, the GSS confessed its failure to prevent the two horrors of the last week. The IDF is also boosting force levels in Judea and Samaria in anticipation of the upcoming month of Ramadan, when religious fervor and food deprivation have a habit of making believers testy, as one said many years ago. They are unusually stressed, which catalyzes a way to relieve the discomfort by attacking Jews in this heightened religious atmosphere. The good news today, and that is, the, the chatter in the media is making some progress in thinking anew of how to respond to this latest spree of the shedding of Jewish blood. In both cases, in Beersheba and Chadera, the murderers uh, did have a record of affinity to ISIS. Both at some point wanted to penetrate Syria to join ISIS. The Muslim demon in Beersheba had even done time in an Israeli prison for planning to leave the country to ostensibly go on pilgrimage to Mecca, but there to head for Syria to join ISIS. Not to create a Palestinian homeland, but an Islamic state on the way to spreading over the entire planet. And what did Israel do when they discovered his plan? They stopped him from leaving the country and imprisoned him for four years, when they never should have stopped him, but even escorted him to the exit, to the, out of the country, telling him, Ma'asalama Ahmed, you are now a free man, you're free to leave, go to Syria, but you're never coming back to this country. Likewise, one of the two murderers in Hadera had been arrested in Turkey, also en route to Syria to join ISIS. And what did Israel do when he returned from Turkey? Nothing. He is, after all, a citizen of the state that prides itself on being a liberal democracy that has no right to dictate thoughts to their citizens, to which I say, fiddlesticks. And there was a breath of fresh air last night in a panel discussion on TV's Channel 14, that's the one religious Zionist station allowed, in which the former police commander in the South and no less former head of the unit that specializes in disguising themselves as Arabs in order to penetrate into their towns and villages to nab would-be terrorists. And he said exactly, exactly 
what yours had truly have said, has said for years. After an enemy has done his dirty work and killed and caused terrible emotional suffering among the victims, friends, and families, uh, the family of the killer must be immediately arrested and taken to the Erez crossing and shoved into the Gaza zone and kicked out of the country with the clothes on their backs. And I would add that instead of blowing up where they had lived, uh, just remove the door uh, from its hinges and allow the yahoos among their neighbors to loot all their possessions. Of course, uh, since in both Beersheba and Chadera the murderers were citizens of Israel, the enlightened, the woke, Israel's post-Zionist, post-Jews, uh, of the left, who want Israel to be just like any other liberal democracy, will holler. This is a violation of their human rights as citizens. They must be indicted, tried in a court of law, and provided with counsel at Israeli expense. And this was the kind of thinking of its founders, who wanted simultaneously a state for Jews and a state that makes no distinction between the ethnic and religious identities of its citizens. When yours truly has come to conclude uh, that Israel would benefit by learning from the Ottoman Turks, whose rule here contained different laws for the different communities, religious communities. It was called the millet system, in which a person's religious affiliation was a fact and matter of public life and law, separate statutes recognizing religion as having a place in the public square, which would mean in Israel today a separate legal apparatus for Muslims, unique to it, and not identical to another set, unique to Jews, Christians, and Muslim and Druze. Uniquely, given the reality and truth that Islam is a form of anti-Semitism, without which Islam is an empty shell, not an original idea stolen from the Jews in it, a religious community whose record is of persecution, murder, kidnapping, rape, enslaving, oppressing, and humiliating Jews, Israeli law should have the right to expel from the country Muslims with even the slightest hint of supporting violence like that against us. Not a day goes by in Judea and Samaria without Arab teenagers pelting Jews with rocks and Molotov cocktails, which can only be curbed by arresting a rock thrower, who is immediately taken to the Eris crossing and kicked out of the country, never to return.
In a time where feelings have become fact, where rational thought and common sense has disappeared, one man stands above it all. I'm Howie Sobaker, your political hitman. Political Hitman airs every Tuesday at 11.59 p.m. North American Time, 7 a.m. Israeli Time, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Well, uh, this week the country was treated uh, to a visit from, uh, by the uh, top dog in the State Department's SDJ unit. That's the State Department Jewboy office, which I think is on the sixth floor at the State Department in Foggy Bottom, directly and symbolically beneath on the seventh floor of the private toilet of the current Secretary of State. I think the first Jewboy was Henry Kissinger, who was at first National Security Advisor uh, to uh, President Nixon and then his Secretary of State, who during the Yom Kippur War uh, was the most anti-Israel among President Nixon's foreign policy advisors, which is why Nixon called him his Jew boy, whose job, for those who don't know, is to borrow uh, from the game of American football the notion of running interference for the Gentile anti-Jew in power, shielding him from accusations of anti-Semitism because here is a Jew who supports him, and no Jew can be an anti-Semite. Oh, yeah? The first communist, the author of the Communist Manifesto, in 1848 was Karl Marx, legally a Jew, but baptized at age six. And he was such a bitter hater of the people he was born into and that he called Judaism the worst of all religions, and when religion in general is a narcotic, to dope the people into accepting their oppression at the hands of the capitalists, led by greedy Jew bankers like the Rothschilds. We Jews have had anti-Jew slanderers among us in every generation. We have had them in our daily prayers for almost 2,000 years. Hostility to Jews is an equal opportunity. Hatred. You don't have to be a Gentile to hate Jews. Jews do it too. Consider men like George Soros and Bernie Sanders. Further evidence that Jews most certainly can be anti-Jews, even when they would ardently deny that. Anthony Blinken, uh, current Secretary of State, a master Jew boy who was here this week. And the news of his joint press conference with Prime Minister Neftali Bennett uh, revealed that truth. Uh, Blinken listed six issues of concern. He said that both sides uh, needed to address in order to reduce tensions. Number one, the widening of the settlements. Number two, the violence of the settlers against the Palestinians, including number three, their incitement to violence. And number four, the destruction of homes, presumably belonging to Muslim assassins by the IDF. Number five, the payment of money to people convicted of terrorism, who does that? And number six, the eviction of families from houses they had lived in, have lived in for many years, close quote. You see, uh, five of the six issues troubling Blinkered Blinken are caused by the Jews. And uh, never mind, he spoke this way just a few hours before the horror in Hadera. And of course, when the prime minister of Israel voiced his position, that not only Israel but other countries do not want the United States government to remove the designation of terror organization for the IRGC, the private army and grafters of the mullahs in Tehran, Blinken said nothing. This possibility of doing this is said to be bait the Iranians to get them to sign off on a new Iran deal, worse than the first, that the sober Donald Trump shut down. U.S. truly oh, has had almost nothing to say about the talks in Vienna these many months because 
The entire concept is anti-Semitic. The whole thing is about when the Iranians can get to make a bomb to drop on Israel, God forbid. And the United States never over 40 years of murderous warlike attacks by Iran against Americans have ever responded as it should with a declaration of war against Iran with the goal of not only crippling Iran's military and nuclear project, but destroying its government led by Muslim religious fanatics. As surely as the Allies in 1945 destroyed the government in Berlin, the Third Reich, and ended emperor worship in Japan. Anthony Blinken, who was married to a Catholic woman by a Catholic priest and by someone pretending to be a rabbi, and not coincidentally, this quintessential Jew boy told Prime Minister Bennett he, he wants to resurrect the American demand that hallucinated Palestinians be allowed to reopen a consulate in Jerusalem, which concretizes the American and Blinken's view that the Jews must not be allowed to live in Judea and Samaria. He is a warm supporter of the two-state solution that sounds so nice, but in practice would be a repeat of the destruction of Jewish lives, homes, communities, and businesses in Gaza in 2005, uh, and the expulsion there of some 10,000 Jews, half of whose families did not survive. In the case of Judea and Samaria, as the Arabs conceive of the two-state solution, this would mean an expulsion 50 times larger twice as large as the expulsion from Spain in 1492. This is what Anthony Blinken, the nominal Jew, seems to want. And he should be asked to discuss, reveal his plan to expel 500,000 Jews and to where? Uh, to a tent city of refugee camps, perhaps? And where would these camps be erected? And, and who will pay for the mass eviction? The two-state solution would also mean in practice, as in Gaza, the future rule by Hamas, the Muslim Brotherhood, and they're taking up positions within small arms fire of Ben-Gurion Airport and the Israeli Knesset. Likewise, Blinken's underling, the new U.S. ambassador to Israel, Tom Nides, is another uh, Jewish anti-Jew who angrily objects to Jews living in Judea and Samaria. Building homes for Jews on barren hilltops, displacing no alleged ancient Palestinians. This behavior, Nides has, Nides has said, infuriates him and perhaps his Gentile wife as well. Like a good Nazi, he insists that Judea and Samaria must be Judenrein, Jew-free. With Prime Minister Naftali Bennett in this press conference, also acting like a Jew boy, referring to Judea and Samaria as the West Bank. At Auschwitz, the Goyim deprived us of our Jewish and human names and instead burnt serial numbers into our forearms as if we were like a herd of cattle infected with hoof-and-mouth disease that had to be registered before being put down exterminated. Any Jew who refers to Judea and Samaria as the West Bank participates in this basic anti-Jew lie of the generation, that we Jews stole the West Bank from the Palestinians, which allegation could not be a bigger corruption of historical truth. Bennett's behavior is true to what I referred to earlier, the schizophrenic impossibility of wanting a state of Jews that treats non-Jews equally, a logical impossibility said Aristotle, A is A, and not B. Israelis like him, like Netanyahu, whose one book he entitled in English, A Place Among the Nations, uh, want that impossibility. And if the nations insist the West Bank is the property of the fictitious Palestinians, so be it. Israelis like Bennett appear to go along with that, for truth be told, since 1967, no Israeli official has ever staked a claim 
to being the rightful owner of Judea and Samaria, and never mind the League of Nations ruled that the new jurisdiction of Palestine was to be the historic homeland of the Jewish people, which would run from the Jordan River to the sea, which includes all of Judea and Samaria, and no less the entirety of the Gaza Strip. Israel has the right in international law to claim Gaza as rightfully Israeli land and the right, therefore, to evict the Arabs squatting there on our land. Instead, we have an Israel that uh, continued to supply Gaza with all its needs, even as the Muslims there fired rockets into our homes and burnt our fields. This is functionally sick behavior, unique in human history. One people fires rockets into the homes of a neighboring people whose victims continue to supply the rocket launches with food and materials and the electricity to manufacture these rockets. And all because Israel wants the nations of the world not to hate us, oblivious to the essential Jew hatred in play, which Israelis do not see, they do not get it, that the international support, which is massive, of the imaginary Palestinians is, has nothing to do with love for them and everything to do with hatred for us. How it bugs yours truly no end when the Muslims and the Muslim Brotherhood in Gaza, a.k.a. Hamas, and Palestine Islamic Jihad, launch their rockets, and the Israeli government and the MSM journalists call them Palestinians, when the very names of their terror cult gangs tell us they are religious people, and their religion is Islam, not phony baloney Palestinian nationalism. Okay, that's it for this edition of Phantom Nation, generously supported by Floridians for the Safety and Security of Israel Institute that organizes great pro-Israel rallies in Miami, whose email is floridians, the number four, israelinstitute at gmail.com. The music you heard was by Daniel Ahaviel and by Carmi Naor and Chilek Frank. And as usual, we will close with Yosef Karduner. For those who want the full story of how the Muslims and anti-Jew Jews invented the fictitious Palestinians, buy my book, Phantom Nation, in hardcover, or Amazon Kindle. It's long, but many say once you start reading, it's hard to put down because it's the best, most truthful and insightful book ever on the war against Israel. Three other podcasts like this one are also available each week via subscription at www.phantom-nation.com. So, Lila Tov from the OJT. The Occupied Jewish Territories, I'm Shaiman Tekoa. <laughs> Thank 
Inside News on Israel. At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Norris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. opinion and more you're listening to israel news talk radio 